Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 165. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooleman? Not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, enjoying, you know, just same old winter, I suppose. Year, year, year two of, year three of... I think this is this the third of year of it, so... Yeah, fun times. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not going to dwell on that. <laughs> no, we are not. And also... I, New Year's Day to Valentine's Day is the most depressing time to be in this country. Oh, yeah. I'm firmly convinced. So, yeah, we're just going to plow through it with hockey, which is the big yes. consolation of living in a frozen country. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm no longer even in the country, but, like, it's mm. it's the same here. I'm still in, like, the, the Northeast. And it's, right. it's just, like, kind of disgusting weather. It's dark at 4 p.m. The days are, in theory, getting longer, but it's still really dark really early. Yeah, it's just demoralizing. I was talking mm. to a, a friend in Florida, and he was like, yeah, you know, it's lots of things are awful here, DeSantis and everything. But the consolation is he just got to go out and hang out on his porch mm. in, like, you know, 23 Celsius weather while I was, like, staring out into a blizzard. So I guess there's that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the GTA got a bunch of snow this week, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yep. So fun times here. Uh, and we'll cheer ourselves up by surveying our potential opponents. You see, we decided to look around the Atlantic. We did that uh, a little bit a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, uh, where we looked at the bottom four teams of the Atlantic, and there was much mockery of the Sens and the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, I mean, that's a very fun podcast, because you can like, just laugh at these these crappy teams. <laughs> like, oh, haha, you, you, you don't have good players. Uh. There will be less of that this time around because unfortunately, yeah, the, the teams we're talking about have have do have good players, and yeah. annoyingly, they also seem to play those players less than we do. <laughs> so really, there's this is going to be a bit more demoralizing on the comparison front. However, these three teams are the most likely playoff opponents for the Leafs because of how the system works out. Yes. There's a chance uh, Toronto ends up crossing divisions. Or they win the the Atlantic and then someone else crosses divisions. But by and large, it's probably going to be one of these three. So, yeah. so pretty much that. So uh, just to make it perfect here, we're going to talk about um, in order: Tampa Bay, Florida, and and Boston, uh, the the top three teams at the Atlantic. Besides the Leafs, we talk about the Leafs enough, and I think all our listeners know broadly about them. We we just want to give people a primer on what these teams are about, what you can expect from them, what are their like relative strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I guess one thing we know, we should note before we start, as as you said, Fullman, it's going to be like a slightly more demoralizing podcast in the sense of like we're going to be talking about these teams and we're going to be like this team is really good, mm-hmm. and that's true of each of these three teams. They are very good teams, um, and we'll be saying, oh, you know, I don't feel great about going against them in the playoff series. They also probably won't feel that good about going with us, going head to head with us. Like the, the Leafs um, are. If you abstract from the years of playoff failures, which granted can be hard to do, um, based on what they've done this year and based on you know the expectations of the players that they have on the roster, the Leafs are, have shown as much as any of these teams, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't think people are champing at the bit to play the Leafs in the playoffs, um, or like are super excited about the idea of going up against you know Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and John Tavares, and all those sorts of things. I mean. In a weird sense, this this is also something I didn't really consider until now. I wonder if there's like some pressure in, in a weird way going up against the Leafs and like, come on guys, we can't be the team they finally fucking beat. <laughs> they lost to Montreal. They lost to Columbus. They can't beat us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's in the back of anyone's heads, but it kind of could be in a weird way. Um, it's, it feels like there's pressure on both parties in, in any Leafs playoff series. And, you know, I will say, there's, just as a brief scan, there's pressure on Boston to yes. try and get the most out of the, I was going to say declining years of Patrice Bergeron, but I'm just going to say the continuing Patrice Bergeron era, because he's immortal. Yeah. Um, well, And also Florida. Like, yeah. Florida hasn't won a playoff series since, you know, the Book of Genesis. Yeah, pretty much. And while they're still going to be good going forward, there are some raises coming down the pike for Florida to bark off next year, presumably Huberdo the year after that. And so they may have trouble being as deep in the future as they are right now. And that's something we'll talk about. So, yeah, this is a big year for everyone. Uh, Tampa's <laughs> just going straight out for dynasty status. Yeah, in Tampa, I mean, I don't think any... We should definitely get Alan on at some point if, like, the Leafs do end up playing the, the Lightning and we can pour him on, like, the state of Lightning's fandom. I don't think any Lightning's fan is going to be that heartbroken if they lose in the first round. You know, they, they have two cup rings plugging their ears. And, you uh, know, I think, I think the Tampa team last year um, was probably the best team of the Cap era. Like, yeah, I, that's a that's strong argument for it. I mean... <laughs> this this is this is where like the salty insert fan will or were they part of the cap era really oh yeah there you oh. go <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean with the lightning there, there is you'd often don't get a chance in sports generally to go for like immortality and like true greatness of like if a team wins three in a row in the cap era that is one of the most impressive dynastic feats in nhl history absolutely like i think that three in a row in the cap era is absolutely comparable to the four or even five win teams, you know, back when there were six teams, it's, pr- it's more impressive. Yeah. For well, my and, money, you know? And, and also, you know, like, um, it's also, it would also be three cup wins in a row. And like in none of those were they kind of, I mean, they're, you're always fortunate to win a cup, but like in each of those, they were easily throughout the regular season and like the playoffs, like you would not say that they were a, a good team that got lucky at the right time you would say that they were a great team who, like, deservedly won. And, like, you know, should have won. This has been the best team in hockey, I think, since that year where they got jumped by Columbus in the first round. And that certainly colored perceptions for a little bit. But that's the only reason you wouldn't have them as the top team. Yes. So, so yeah, I mean, without further ado, let's, let's get more in-depth into uh, this year's Tampa Bay Lightning. So we'll quickly talk about their, their five-on-five fundamentals. Um, these stats are from Evolving Hockey. These may have changed over, slightly over the last few days. Like, we, we pulled these at different times throughout the week. Um, so just take away, like, kind of the broad patterns and not, like, the specific numbers. Tampa is uh, seventh in expected goals percentage at five-on-five. Uh, they're sixth in goals four percentage, and they're tenth in, in Corsi four percentage. So they're around, like, 55% in goals four and 54% in expected goals, slightly lower in Corsi. They play at... A relatively slow pace, um, and this is part of the transformation that people have mentioned with Tampa for, for a long time. Um, they're not like this high-flying, run-and-gun trade chances team. Mm-hmm. Right? They play at a relatively slow pace. Um, their offense is above league average, but not elite. They're like kind of in that 10th range-ish uh, in terms of goals for per 60 and expected goals for per 60. Again, this is at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, but their defense is very good, mm-hmm. right? So their defense, they are the second-best team in the league at limiting shots. They're the fourth-best team in the league at limiting um, expected goals. And 
like distributionally for expected goals, it gets kind of Boston way out in front of everyone, which we'll talk about. Yeah. And then a bunch of teams kind of competing for second place. Tampa's in that in that group of teams. Um, they're in goals against. They're less solid. They're again just a, only above average. Part of that is due to goaltending, which we'll talk about. It, it, that bad goaltending has been clustered in their backups. So it's mm-hmm. kind of important for the regular season. Not at all important for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The elephant in the room that we have to talk about when we talk about Tampa Bay's stats is that they have been quite injured this season. And in particular, a lot of their star players have been injured. Um, Kucherov has like nine, maybe at this point, 10 games played out of 40. So he's missed about three quarters of the year. Braden Point has missed about a quarter of the year. Anthony Sorelli has missed a handful of games. Right now, um, Eric Chernak and Zach Bogosian are out. Tampa just had to play a game with like 16 skaters or something like that. They yeah. have been hurt and it's been they're good players who have been hurt. I um, just wanted to point out, yeah, Tampa had to play a game with four defensemen for the whole night. And Victor Hedman played, I think, 32 minutes in the course of that. And they interviewed him after, and he was like, that was awesome. Like, (laughs) I felt great out there. And, like, he was really enjoying himself. It's like when you're playing a video game on, like, you're playing NHL on, like, easy mode. And you're like, okay, I'm I'm going to win a game, but I'm never going to actually press the shoot button. I'm going to pass it into the net. Like, that, that's what the Lightning need to do to make the regular season a challenge. And, I mean, basically, the thing with Tampa and why, on, if you look just at their, at their stats this year, they're probably the least impressive of the top teams in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. But I, I think for, that basically doesn't matter in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Number one, I, again, as we covered, they've been missing arguably the third or second best forward in the world in Nikita Kucherov. Like, we often say, oh, Austin Matthews is the second best forward in the league behind McDavid. And it's like, Kucherov has an argument to be there. Yeah. Like, right? I have Matthews ahead of him, but... It's not by a lot. Yeah, and, you know, I'll acknowledge there's probably some Toronto bias in there, too. So, like, Kucherov had 128 points a couple of years ago. Yes. It was fucking dumb. He's, he is really, really good. They basically have not had him for most of the year. Right? Yes. And then, additionally, this team just doesn't care about the regular season. Why would they? Yeah, they've done everything that there is to do in the regular season, and they learned at one point how that doesn't mean that much for the playoffs and that infamous collapse against Columbus. Now they've been to the mountaintop twice. So, yeah, I I think everyone expects, one, this team is obviously just better than its stats have looked because Kucherov wasn't playing, and Point was missing time too, as you noted. And also, they don't have to give you know, 110% every single night of the regular season because they're good enough to be seated without that. And they know what's coming. Like, I expect this team to elevate when playoff time comes, which is why they scare me more than the other two, despite the stat profile. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's talk a bit about um, their their lineup. Uh, Fulman, you have you have um, kind of their, yeah. their, their forwards, their core forwards uh, listed out. And we'll, we'll probably go in order of like forwards, then defense, then goaltending. Yeah, I just wanted to get a look at their top nine. I generally ignored fourth lines through this because I think we can overfocus on fourth lines a lot of the time. These are the guys that you want to focus on. Um, the top line at time of me researching this was Corey Perry, Braden Point, and Nikita Kucherov. Corey Perry obviously can be shuffled out, but he does have 10 goals this year. Um, I, again, he still knows how to do certain things, and he used to be one of the best goal scorers in the world. So putting him with Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, seems like a no-brainer. That line is absurd. Um, and they can easily turn it to Guy 
Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov. And pretty much regardless of who Guy is, it will be a top 10 line in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So well, there's and then, that. <laughs> and then compounding it is that like the guy they have there is often Andre Palat, who is himself a good player. Yeah, that's the thing is... You know, we've done this with Michael Bunting, and I think we've all been really happy with what Michael Bunting has done. But he's not even anywhere near as established as Andre Palat, who's like a pretty good upper-class second-line scoring forward. Like, maybe verging on first line in his own right. So, yeah, like, that's going to be a ferocious line. If you're looking at that, I think the matchup there is Matthews and Point head-to-head. And hope for the best. I, you know, there are other ways you could approach it to try and open up time for the Matthews line, but I think it's going to end up being a power versus power thing. And this line doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. Like, Braden Point isn't the fastest skater in the world, but he's amazing at everything and a terrific shooter. And, you know, a good two-way player. Um, And then Nikita Kutrov is an offensive savant. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think if we want to put a more optimistic spin on this, it's that Bunting, Matthews, and Marner can credibly go hit for hit with this line. Mm-hmm. You know, like theirs is very good, so is ours. But yeah, the, I, this is kind of ferocious. And then the second line is Alex Kilorn, Anthony Chirelli, and Steven Stamkos. Oh yeah, Steven Stamkos is still here. <laughs> just hanging out, just being a dude. Um, he still shoots the lights out. His personal shooting percentage is about 17 on the year, which is his, for his career. And just for the record, for most people, that would be the hottest shooting season of their careers. He just lives there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Torelli's yeah. a good defensive forward, but... So the, the, yeah, sorry. The second line is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is... They probably don't control play to the degree of like elite second lines. And I, I would cast Toronto's in this group. Mm-hmm. Right, like I think if you look at um, XG by hockey vis at least, there, there's like a, a pretty sizable gap between the John Tavares line and the Steven Samkos line in terms of how how they do in terms of controlling play, like shots and expected goals. But you know, you have a guy shooting 17%, that gives you a lot more margin, and their goal results are are actually I think in favor of um, Tampa Bay's if you compare their second line to our second line. Mm-hmm. So. Basically, it's like there is potential play driving weakness here, but they're so dangerous when they get shots off that mm-hmm. this is still a very, very scary line. Um, so, yeah, like it, Sorelli, I think, has had a bit of a, a down year, at least offensively. His defensive impact still appears to be fairly good, but a couple of his, his groupings um, with like Stamkos and Kalorn in particular, it's kind of, a, they're almost like a no event in, in way, the way they play. There's not much offense and not much defense. Um, going forward, you expect this to just be kind of a pretty, you know, strong second line that has the ability to outshoot good expected goal stats, right? And mm-hmm. in principle, someone of like Sorelli's defensive ability can counterbalance some of Stamkos' defensive weaknesses. So, again, like the, this, this line probably hasn't been as... Sorelli and Kalorn, I think, have had years where they have had a kind of really, really strong defensive impacts. Mm-hmm. And I think that combination this year hasn't been tremendously great. Again, all of this is via hockey biz. Um, and they were a little bit weak defensively, which you don't really expect to see. But I also, you, you expect that to kind of iron itself out a little bit. And their overall numbers 
are still quite good when 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 Stamkos is is on the ice and Stamkos and and um, Kalorin, even if they're only a little bit above fifty percent in XG, they're going to outshoot that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stamkos has declined somewhat from when he was one two with Ovechkin for top shooter in the world, but he's still an exceptional player. And you know, I think over recent years when Tampa Bay seemed to keep being on the verge of running into the salary cap. Alex Kalorn was one of those names where people were fantasy trading him away to make space. And he was considered to be one of the iffier contracts on a team that has gotten exceptional value at most positions. But I've heard from a couple of Bolts fans who say that they just love the fit of Kalorn with Stamkos. They think that he does a lot of things that facilitate Stamkos' game in transition in terms of covering for him, and in terms of being deferential to a guy who should be deferred to. Uh, a fantastic shooter. You know, you don't want necessarily someone who's going to be taking the puck off Stamco's stick because he thinks he's got a better chance. So I, I think that that being such a long-standing pairing uh, at forward probably bodes well for it. They understand each other. Mm. Um, it's kind of a funny coincidence that the Alex Kays seem to do the same thing on both second lines. At left wing for Toronto and Tampa. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting connection. I didn't I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, that, that that's a really interesting point worth noting uh, about like Kalorn's kind of relative uh, shot share. He he is like, he he takes less than twenty percent of the team shots when he's on the ice. And if you think about it, like the average is is the average for a forward is going to be higher than twenty percent because usually there, you know there's five players on the ice. Defensemen mm-hmm. usually don't take as many shots as forwards. So the fact that he's taking less than that kind of exemplifies that deferential nature. And, you know, you want Steven Samkos taking the shots when, mm-hmm. uh, whenever possible. Um, the, the offense with this group on the ice has not been overwhelming to the degree that it has with, with other, with like the top line. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're looking at a culprit as to why this line, or why this team hasn't had as great offensive results as you may expect and as great offensive results as, as they've had in the past, then this line is probably like the culprit in that sense, mm-hmm. um, at least insofar as you would, uh, you know. Obviously, there's been the injury concerns as well that that's hampered the offense generally. Uh, mm-hmm. But in particular, like, Tampa's offense by XG has always been maybe like slightly underrated because they take a lot of shots from like the slot, from like the high slot rather, mm-hmm. and not that much from like the the net front and they also just have like kind of really good finishers mm-hmm. with Stamkos and Kucherov who are you know probably two of the 10 best shooters in the world right so they can consistently hope to outperform mm-hmm. these results um and that's something always worth keeping in mind I think sometimes stats people just in general it can be easy to take xg as basically how good you really are and there are exceptional cases like this Tampa can expect to beat its XG at both ends, as we'll talk yes, about. Yes, and they haven't done that to a huge degree um, this year. Well, I mean, they have outshot their XG by a little bit at 5-on-5 five five this year. But, I mean, again, they've been missing Kucherov. I'm hammering that point home because it. They, this is the equivalent of us missing Matthews for three quarters of the year. Exactly. right? Like, th- Think about how you would think of the Leafs' stats without Matthews. Apply that to Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. So, not for nothing, also, they have been surging lately i would say seven wins in their last 10 so their third line is patrick maroon who just likes to go places and win cups pierre edward belmar 
who is a pretty good defensive center. I wouldn't say in your dream world he's your 3C. And Matthew Joseph, who's a, a newer player, but who looks pretty good from the stat profile. I can't say I knew about a lot about him. Yeah, and, and Joseph usually plays on the fourth line, like when Palat mm-hmm. is, is healthy. Uh, he's so. the, the next guy to be bumped down. Yeah. But, so, we do want to emphasize, this team is less good, we think, than the teams that dominated their way to the Cups the last couple of years, because that famous third-slash-second line, Coleman, Gord, Goudreau, um, is gone. They might have gotten a little bit over-discussed in the press in terms of their contributions to Tampa winning, but they mattered a lot, and they were really good. And uh, you noted here, they actually were the kind of third line that can play higher against better lines and do well um, as sort of a shutdown group. So that's a loss that they don't have them, and Tampa is more beatable because of it. That said, Maroon and Belmar have done just fine together throughout this year. So maybe I'm underestimating them. They're both veteran players who know what they're doing, and so them putting up good results isn't a huge surprise. Mm -hmm. It it is a little tough for me to persuade myself that we're going to have an advantage at third line with a line built around David Camp. God bless him, but mm. you can call this one about even with Andre Cash in there, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I'd, I'd say so. And this, this line gets used you know, quite defensively and they have solid results. It's not as good as that, you know, Coleman, Gord, Goudreau line. Mm-hmm. Um, but that line is like an embarrassment to have as, as your third line for a contender, right? Yeah. It um, was borderline dumb how good Tampa was. I'm just going to keep mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, and it's worth noting because like, we'll, we'll say, oh, you know, they're not as good as they were last year. Well, last year they were, and last, the previous two years, they were the best team in the league by, yeah. by like, you know, a, a non, not insignificant margin. I mean, you could say Colorado was as well, and they got, you know, on, dumped in the playoffs, which can happen to any team. But, like, Tampa, Tampa was really, really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, just on, the, on the note of you saying, like, them heating up, since uh, getting the stats for like their goals for percentage, it's now like or their goals for rate, it's now crept up, and now they're like the eighth high, eighth best offense in the league as opposed to tenth, slightly ahead of the Leafs, in fact. So, you know that offense is heating up, and I'm sure having Kucherov back helps. Yeah, um, you wanted to talk a bit about usage in general about some oh, of these lines. Yeah, so I mean, as you'd expect, the top two lines get you know very offensive usage in terms of zone, and they're trusted in like offensively important situations. So. That's when you expect to see, like, you know, as soon as they start trailing, you can expect to see heavy diets of those two lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, the third line is obviously just more defensive by nature, so nothing, you know, unconventional there. Um, their top forwards, like, they do get mixed around a fair bit. It's hard to know how much of that is just due to injuries and how much is just due to, like, John Cooper wanting to mess around. And, you know, they're, they're probably a team that, has the ability to experiment as much as they want in the regular season, and like they've mm-hmm. earned that right. Um, I guess the other thing I'll notice in terms of uh, I'll note in terms of usage is that they really love going kind of full power and playing the headman pairing with their top two lines, like more than you more than you would like if you were in, allocating ice time independently of forward and defense combinations. Um, they spend more time with like headman with Point and Kucherov, for example. Mm-hmm. So they really like that. Um, combination of skills. Not hard to see why. Hedman is a brilliant offensive mind. Having him with your, your best offensive players makes a lot of sense. So, there, you know, expect to see that combination um, quite a bit and expect to see pretty stupid results 
when they do play because you know with Point and Kucherov playing, it's they're pretty phenomenal, and with Point Kucherov and Hedman, it's you know as you would expect. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if you want to take the uh, the more optimistic spin on this, I think you can squint and say the Leafs can nearly match or can match uh, Tampa Bay's forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can say the Matthews line is as much as we admire the point and Kucherov combination, Matthews and Marner have been dope as hell. Tavares and Nylander, I don't think give a ton back against Chirelli and Stamkos. Um, definitely Tavares and Nylander have been more dangerous offensively this year, except in terms of Stamkos' shooting percentage, which you can count sustaining, but you can sort of talk yourself into it. And then you say, okay, our third line is pretty decent too. And all that sort of stuff. I can do that if I allow myself a little homer bias and say, yeah, we'll go toe for toe for with them at forward. On defense, it's really hard to argue that Tampa's not better than us. Yeah, I, very, very much so. Um, before we talk about yeah. that in more depth, should we just talk quickly about their power play? Mm-hmm. I got all excited because their power play looked kind of ordinary this season, and the Leafs have had a quite good power play this season. So I was thinking, maybe that's somewhere the Leafs can build up an advantage. And Tampa, as has been mentioned in the past, both draws and takes a fair number of penalties. So I was thinking, okay, you know, you'll have a lot of time on special teams. Maybe this will be an opening. However, I had briefly forgotten that Kucherov wasn't there for three quarters of this year. And adding him helps your power play. News at 11. So, yeah, you gave an explanation of this as to why exactly it's so dangerous yeah so i mean i guess one thing about tampa's power play that does kind of frighten me especially in a playoff series i mean it's that it feels very hard to stop them getting at least okay chances once they get in the zone right like Mm -hmm. i mean so with any power play plan 1a is don't let them get set up but, you know, some percentage of the time they are going to get set up because they have more players than you and they are not idiots, right? Like, they, they will usually at some point get set up if you give them enough opportunities. But then the next thing is, like, okay, how can we take away what they like to do the most? Um, Tampa, in, in, and as for, Fulham, for the reasons Fulham mentioned, like, I don't really look at this year's power play results and, like, take anything away from them because, again, they have not had Nikita Kucherov for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, Tampa's power play, I think, is built around the twin threats of Stamkos shooting from his off wing and Kucherov shooting from his off wing. And they get a lot of mileage out of both of them being solid passers and, of course, great finishers. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, a cross scene pass from one to the other is really, really dangerous and very hard to stop because you have to respect the shot but you also have to, you know, make sure you're not giving up that crossing pass. And, like, it's very hard to take both away. And if you do take both away, well, then, by the way, it just goes to Victor Hedman as the power play quarterback. And the problem with that is, at some point, Hedman can just make a relatively uncontested pass to either Kucherov or Stamkos, and they can fire off a one-timer. And that's not the best chance that this power play can, can generate. Mm-hmm. But it's, they can generate that almost at will, and that's not a, that's not a bad fallback. Not at all. Right? It, this isn't like the Montreal power play where, like, 
okay, you know, they can always fall back on a Shea Weber slapper. And they, it's true, they can. But those are like relatively low percentage chances. Mm-hmm. A setup one time, or even if it's not from all the way across the ice, but just from the point to the wing, from either Stamkos or Kucherov, is like a really strong base. Where it feels like it, once they're in the zone, they're at least going to get something reasonably dangerous. Yes, absolutely. I also want to point out, that can be the skeleton of a strong power play. And then you're adding Braden Point. Yes, as and he plays the bumper usually, I think. Yeah, he plays close to the net. Oh, um, does he? Okay, so I'm just wrong yeah. Well, yeah, no, he, he, well, he plays in the middle, um, okay. from what I can see from his shot locations. And I think, you know, Braden Point as one of those players who is admired for his fancy stats, but maybe is let... So now I feel like it gets under-discussed. He's an insane finisher. He's very, very good at scoring. You know, he's, he's not just like, oh, he's a, he's a pretty great two-way center. He is. But he's one of the best finishers in the NHL. And so you're adding that to this structure you've already described, where it's a pick-your-poison between Stamkos and Kucherov, and the person making the choice for you <laughs> is sometimes Victor Hedman. Um, once you do all of that... Um, you start to see why this power play is a lot scarier than its results were for the first part of this year. So yeah, we can't count on this being a real advantage for the Leafs, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's just very, very dangerous. As, as you said, point gets a lot of his shots kind of right in the, in the, in the slot area. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's dangerous. And he's very dangerous from there. Um, before we f- go to the defenseman, just, just for the sake of completeness, they're kind of, preferred depth forwards apart from from joseph are like ross colton and taylor radish apparently i have no opinions on them yeah if you know we start talking about taylor radish in the series then i don't know things have gone pretty weird Mm. but you never know um the thing about the defense is that it's better than ours and they have these weird well i don't say weird but they skew very strongly to the strength of their left side um that's not to say that the players on the right side are bad, um, and some of them statistically look quite good. But I'm pretty confident the strength of this is the left. And so you have a pairing of Victor Hedman and usually Jan Ruta uh, as his partner. You have a pairing with Ryan McDonough on the left, um, usually with Eric Chernak. And then you have a third pairing with uh, Mikhail Sergachev. And whoever. Sometimes it's Zach Bogosian, sometimes it's Cal Foot. Each of those pairings is exceptional. The Hedman and Guy is a, a top-tier NHL first pairing. You can play him with almost anybody, and he's at that level. Did, when um, they played him with, like, what's his face? Dan Boyle. When, like, Dan Boyle was, like, cooked, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it was just, like, it was fine. Everyone was like, why are they signing Dan Boyle? And they played him with Hedman, and... Everyone's like, oh, okay, that's working. Uh, yeah, it, it, no, it wasn't Dan Boyle. It was the Rangers guy who blocks all the shots. Um, and Damian Cox nominated him for a Norris at one point. Wait, who Dan Girardi. Uh, oh, Dan Girardi, okay. Yeah. Same person. <laughs> Whatever, but yeah. And this is the thing, is Victor Hedman is such a strong all-around presence that it almost doesn't matter who you play on the right. Like, I can say from a tactical perspective, gee... I'd love to come up the, the left side of the ice and see if I could get some opportunities against Jan Ruta rather than running directly into Victor Hedman. But I'm not sure how actionable that really is, putting aside even that the Leafs 
left wings are much weaker than their right wings. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, Hedman, I think everyone knows, has a case to be the best defenseman of the past decade in the NHL. If he's not, he's certainly in the top five. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, McDonough is an exceptionally strong defensive presence, and especially when he's paired with Cherenak, they seem to work well together. And so whichever of our top six lines runs into that pairing is going to have its work cut out for them to break through. And then Mikhail Sergachev is just a great puck mover. Um, I, I think the expectation was that he would rise up maybe higher than this by now, but he's blocked by two very, very strong left defensemen, and he seems to be doing quite well where he is. Yeah. The, so Tampa seems to have like this kind of very clear pecking order. Um, mm-hmm. with their defenseman of, like, Hedman is clearly, like, the top guy, and then McDonough and Sergachev um, are, are the, in a kind of a tier of their own, and then everyone else, mm-hmm. right? And it's worth noting all three of those guys, as you discussed, Whitman, play on different pairings. Mm-hmm. And they're the three most played guys. So, logically, they also steal a few shifts together. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and those are probably, like, you know, particularly, like, leveraged shifts, like, after an icing or something, after an opposing icing, post-PK or something like that. Um, end of period, things like that. Um, so they, they find ways to, you know, we, we talk a lot about like, you know, oh, can we get this guy the minutes they deserve when they're blocked by, you know, two, maybe two, two defensemen ahead of them who play the same side. Um, Tampa's making that work. Mm-hmm. My, my general review of this defense core is just that like everyone is at least pretty good defensively. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, McDonough and Chernak appear to be kind of like the best defensively, and then Hedman, his real value add is like the offense that he provides, and especially his link up with the the both elite offensive players. Mm-hmm. And just like they they give very few minutes to bad defensive players, mm-hmm. right? I, I feel like only Bogosian I would consider is like a below average defensive player. And I don't think he's bad in his own zone; it's just he's so limited with the puck. Yeah, like if you have to play Zach Bogosian on your third pairing on the right side, it's fine. Um, especially when you've got this ahead of him. I, I do did want to mention that thing about having your top two defensemen on different pairings was actually the situation the Leafs were in at one point under Mike Babcock, where Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner were definitively, I would say, the two best defensemen on the team. Mm-hmm. And despite not playing together very often, they both wound up um, at the top in terms of ice time in, uh, most nights. So it's, you know, it's a similar thing with uh, Tampa's defense. Um, yeah, I, again, all you can really say here is they're very strong, especially on the left side. And there aren't obvious exploitable vulnerabilities that I can see other than maybe you get something from the left wing. I did notice on Ruta's shot map, which is very, very good. Not much comes in uh, offensively there. But there was a little bubble of more chances right where you would expect him to be standing. 5v5. Like just, so I'm wondering if there's a bit of a potential to attack there. And then I'm thinking, you know, Matthews and Tavares are both left shooting centers. But yeah, this is a tough road to hold. This is a very, very strong defense group. Yep, pretty much. Um, it's, yeah, they're, I mean, we, we set off the top there. In contention for like in contention for like the second best defense in in the league, as you'd expect, it's because they have good defensive players and they play a good defensive system. Mm-hmm. You know, Tampa just does not have a lot of clear weaknesses that mm-hmm. you can point to, in a way that you can do with almost any other team. 
including the two that we'll talk about after this. You know, they're just, they're very strong all around. Again, um, backup goalie would actually be the only thing. So maybe it's a good time to segue to the goalies. Yes. Well, Andre Vasilevsky's really good. <laughs> yep. Okay. Now moving on. So, well, yeah, I mean, it is, when it comes to when we care about the Leafs and the Lightning playing each other, that's ultimately what's going to matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so Vasilevsky, as you'd expect, has been his usual strong self this year. Tampa Bay's backups have not been, and you actually identified this early on uh, like mm-hmm. in our off-season review as like, it's kind of, it, this is a little bit of a risk that they're taking because th- their backup goalies do just kind of suck. Mm-hmm. And that could hurt them, you know, if in, in, in some scenarios where if you know, Vasilevsky gets hurt for an extended period of time, it hasn't seemed to really hurt them enough thus far. They're, like, basically locked in for the playoffs anyways. Mm-hmm. And in the playoffs, I mean, if your starting goal needs hurt in the playoffs, all bets are off regardless. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it doesn't matter too much. But, yeah, if Vasilevsky plays, they have really strong goaltending. Yeah, he's been excellent this year. He's been excellent for most of the past several years. He's a very, very good goalie. Um, yeah, I, I did mention the the backups. They made a bit of a curious choice in picking Brian Elliott, who was coming off two absolutely dreadful years in Philadelphia. And maybe they just thought, hey, it's Philadelphia. It's where goalies go to die. We will resurrect him when he gets here. And I don't think they've quite pulled that off. But again, it doesn't really matter as long as they have Vasilevsky. You you add all this up and you look at this team and say, okay, how do you beat them? <laughs> and it's doable. You can talk yourself into it at every point, but if Tampa Bay healthy plays the Leafs healthy, my pick is Tampa Bay in six. Yeah, I think the thing that strikes me with Tampa is that they feel like they're a team that can win many ways. Yes. And it, it feels like it's, it's difficult to picture a style of game where they are not really going to be pretty okay with it, right? Mm-hmm. That we mentioned they do play this kind of low pace game now, but that feels like it's by their design. And mm-hmm. it feels like if, they, if you try and get them into a track meet, I, I'm not sure you necessarily want to do that. Right? Like, I, I, it doesn't feel like this is a team that's going to struggle in a track meet if they, like, it feels like they play this slow style by choice and not because they feel limited and they, they have to. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, their, their defense is really good. Their offense, you know, by XG is only okay, but we know they're going to outshoot their XG. And we know that, you know, their star players haven't played as much as other team star players have this year. So, you know, you can inflate their stats a little bit from that. And they, you know, as much as we kind of discount all the playoff experience and stuff like that, this isn't a team that is going to get flustered at this point. It's a team that is, has nothing to lose in some sense. They've, they've, you know, written their names in the history books. Mm-hmm. Now they're just going for immortality. Yeah. You know, when we talked to Alan about what changed after that Columbus loss, I think a lot of stats people were inclined to say they were a really good team and they got kind of jumped and maybe a little flustered and knocked out. And I think there were elements of all of that. But he also said they reached a point now where they were quite comfortable playing anyway. And so if you're still thinking of this as the run-and-gun Tampa Bay Lightning, who are just going to blast you off the, the rink, that's not an accurate description of them. They can, but they don't generally. This is a team that whose strength is defense, I think, as much as anything. 
and their offense is also very good. Yes, and I think sometimes people go too far the other way and say, oh, this is like now a team that is characterized by like grit and, you know, toughness. And they, they have all of that in spades, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, this team's three best players are Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, and Braden Point, all of whom are phenomenal offensive players. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, that, I think, encapsulates his team. This is a team that can do everything. Mm-hmm. So, right? yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the size of it. Um, I would be really curious to hear someone sort of lay out how they think tactically the Volts can be beaten because it's not the easiest thing in the world. The other thing is that if you decide to, let's say, physical up the series a little bit, which is the kind of thing that Columbus was trying to do way back when, um, Tampa Bay is quite fine with that. As we've said, you know, they have the grit to withstand it, but they're also quite content with a special teams heavy game. Mm-hmm. They play that way a lot. Yes. Um, they're top five in the league in both time on the PK and time on the power play. So they are already sort of living in that zone in terms of lots of special teams play. And as we've mentioned, they can expect to win special teams minutes because their power play when healthy is very strong and so is their penalty kill. Yes. It is worth noting that like the gap between a team that plays a lot on the power play and, or on special teams and a little on special mm-hmm. teams is like not that large. I, mm-hmm. I calculated this. Um, so 80% of the Lightning's games are at 5-on-5, five five, which is near the bottom of the league, as, as you state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the lowest is 77%, which is the wild, which I mm-hmm. didn't expect, actually. The Leafs are at 82% of the game at 5-on-5. Five five. Mm-hmm. So this isn't, you know, that isn't a huge um, amount of difference, right? Like, that's a, a 2% difference over a 60-minute game, which is, on average, like, a minute or so a night. So, like, half a, half a power play more, or a power play or penalty kill more every two games. Yeah, which so is it, probably another reflection of the fact that refs call even up penalties a lot. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, 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 this, is, this is something that impacts, impacts things on the margins, right? Mm-hmm. But it is, it is worth noting, and I guess another thing worth noting, Tampa Bay, uh, when they have the lead, their defense is really good. So typically teams, there's like score effects where their offense gets worse um, and their defense gets worse in terms of allowing more shots, but probably a little bit better in terms of um, allowing dangerous shots, the Lightning just become brutally effective when they have a lead. So, like, you go down mm-hmm. one nothing, 2 nothing against this team, it, it's kind of lights out. Yeah, they, they're just brutal. Like, they're, they're just good at most things. And so I, I could say, what would I like to do? Um, I would like to attack up the left wing against this team. I would like to trust that Matthews and Marner can go power for power against Point Kucherov. I would try and get better opportunities for Tavares and Nylander, hopefully against the bottom six. They might be good. They're not as good as Tavares. Let's hope for that. That still leaves me trying to send David Kampf and Andre Kasha up against Trilly and Stamkos. It's not a great option. Putting aside that I'm only going to have limited control over matchups at the best of times. And, you know, the, the Leafs have used Kampf as more of a defensive zone specialist anyway. So, yeah, like, it's it's going to be tough. The The consolation here is anybody can beat anybody, and the Leafs are not a bad team. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this would be, this is the matchup that scares me. So. Yep, I mean, the, the Lightning are a very good team. They, I mean, mm-hmm. look, they haven't been beaten in the playoffs in a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's, they're, they're a scary team to face. Um even though their statistical profile isn't necessarily like, it doesn't jump off the page to you when you look at it at, at first blush. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Florida Panthers 
seem a lot like us. Yes. I found. Yeah. They're like the mirror leafs almost. Um, so the two teams are neck and neck in XG, and they both have very very strong top sixes. Um, do you want to talk about the fundamentals? Sure. Uh, let's do that. So the Florida Panthers, fourth in expected goals percentage at like fifty five or so, second in goals for percentage at like sixty percent. They might be first at this point. Them and Carolina are like neck and neck. Um, second in Corsi four percentage, fifty six percent. Noticing a trend there. Um, <laughs> they are good at carrying play at 5-on-5. Five five. They, unlike the Lightning, play at a very high pace. Um, mm-hmm. The second highest XG pace in the league. Again, I think Carolina is first. Um, mm-hmm. 5.6 combined, 5v5 expected goals. Um, expected goal rate per game. So this is, this is um, adjusting for the fact that some teams play more at 5-on-5 five five than others. I think Tampa was at 4.7 to give you some uh, context there. So um, because of their high pace, their differentials in expected goals and goals for uh, rates are like basically tops in the league. And this is driven by a very strong offense. Um, their goals for rate at 5-on-5 five five is like first in the league, around 3.5 um, goals per 60. One of the two best offenses in the league, along with Colorado. There is a big gap between that top two and then the teams behind them. Uh, their Corsi 4 rate is first, again. <laughs> Uh, their expected goal rate, here they're only second because Carolina oh. jumps ahead of them. But they are closer to Carolina, uh, who is in first, than they are to Toronto, who is in third. Mm-hmm. So pretty dangerous five-on-five offense, to say the least. The defense is where you can hope to, to maybe get a bit, of, uh, a bit of that back. In goals against per 60 at five-on-five, five, only above average, around 12th in the league. Expected goals around 16th, smack dab in the middle of the league. Um, they are better at suppressing, sh- suppressing sh- shots. They're coursey against per 60 is fourth in the league. But um, in terms of chance quality and goals against, they are closer to average. Mm-hmm. In terms of um, injuries, they've also been a little bit injured this year, although I think they've missed less um, time from their stars than Tampa did. But like Barkov and Duclair have missed you know, a non-negligible amount of time. Bennett and Reinhardt have missed a, bit, a few games. Hornfist and, and Bennett are out right now. Um, and like some assorted depth forwards have missed time as well. So broadly speaking, the, the, the idea of this team is really, really good five-on-five offense, only okay five-on-five defense, or only slightly good five-on-five defense, which is, as Fulman says, something that's pretty familiar to these fans. Exactly. I think that, you know, we talked about Tampa Bay. They're quite content to play anyway. The way that the Panthers would prefer to play is probably a lot like the way the Leafs would prefer to play. They mirror each other in that respect. A series between the two of them, for a neutral observer, which we are not, uh, could be a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of high-flying offensive talent on both sides of this matchup. Um, This team is built at forward around Alex Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau. So the top line at present was Carter Verhage, Alexander Barkov, and then Sam Reinhardt on right wing. They do move these around a bit. There's a ton of variation in their forward lines. I think like the biggest mm-hmm. pattern that you can identify is that Barkov and Huberto are normally separate. Yes. Each of them is capable of carrying a line offensively, and that's kind of the idea. That said, Sam Reinhardt is also probably capable of carrying a second line offensively, I would think. So being able to put him with Barkov is a luxury. Um, Carter Verhage, we've underestimated for a long time, or at least I have, because we gave him up in that five-for-one trade for Michael Grabner way back when. He kind of drifted around the NHL a little bit before emerging as a star top line forward at this point. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, he and before I, I've seen people get like really mad at Lou for this trade, and it's like, I mean, I, I get it in a sense, but I don't think many teams saw Verhage's breakout coming. Tampa Bay had him in their organization on their fourth line and still let him go. Yeah, and the New York Islanders did nothing with him, but. Yeah, he just kind of immersed. I mean, even his, his year with Tampa as a fourth liner, granted, but he had a point every four games, mm -hmm. which is, you know, is not terrible for a fourth liner, but it's not anything you get upset about. And then he got pushed into a bigger role with Florida the following year, and he went off like gangbusters, and he's never looked back. Um, Alexander Barkov, I mean, you all know about him at this point. How, uh, could, how could they? He's the most underrated player in the league. <laughs> no one knows that Alexander Barkov is good. Yeah, uh, I think Barkov has firmly passed into the, uh, he's so underrated, everyone has heard of him. I won't say he's so underrated, he's overrated, because he is really good. Yeah, no, he's, he's but, very good. Yeah, but everybody knows at this point that he's uh, an outstanding first line center. Um, just drives offense really, really well. Yeah, well, and, and you know? interestingly, like, he's an elite offensive player, and I think only a average to good defensive player. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, like, it, it, uh, uh, this is similar to the Braden Point thing. People respect a lot of aspects of his game, but I don't think they talk enough about the fact that he's just, a, like, a really good finisher, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just really skilled. Yeah, he's just a, an exceptional player. Um, Sam Reinhart is someone that we've discussed in the past. Uh, Sabres Kevin likes to say that he's almost, in some ways, a mirror of William Nylander, although they play different styles. Um, Reinhart is less fluid to foot, but he's a good all-around player. I think one of the things about Reinhardt is that you can put him with anybody and he will facilitate their success. So he's a great choice at first line right wing. He's also a perfectly viable choice as a middle six center. And so in that respect, he is again like William Nylander. Um, that second line is something, eh? It's Jonathan Huberdeau, who is the biggest example of how quietly you can have a very good career. Jonathan Huberto might Florida. actually be one of the more underrated players in the league because, like, I think, again, everyone knows Huberto is good, but he's yeah. also, like, he's, like, if you look at his points rate, it's, like, probably in the top 10 or top 15 in the league, and it has been for a little bit. Like, he's having a phenomenal scoring season, both at 5v5 and all situations. Yeah, like, he's been well above point per game for four years now. He peaked at 92 points in 2019. And the pace he's on right now, he would actually blow that away. So he's a very, very good scorer. And yet, and yet you just don't hear about him as much because the Panthers before this year didn't really impress themselves on the public consciousness. Um, but yeah, he's been really good. He's also making $5.9 a year, which is insane in terms of the value for what he provides. He'll need a, a raise in summer 2022. Um, but the Panthers have done extremely well in that contract uh the center is sam bennett who you know what i'll admit i questioned this at the time he was playing in calgary and he did basically nothing f after his rookie season he like he seemed to struggle he was mostly in their bottom six and he got traded to florida he seemed to get a new lease on life but i was saying okay it's been 10 games he went on a heater that's cool but i wouldn't want to pay for it Florida said, we do what we want. They signed him to a big extension, and he's been great. Uh, he's on the cusp of already setting a career high in goals. His career high is 18. He has 17 already this year. Um, results for that line have been good. And then Anthony DeClaire, who 
straight up did not get enough credit for what a good offensive player he is for a long time. Bounced around the league a bit. Now he's settled in really nicely as a complimentary scoring forward for them. And he's pushing point a game. Yes. Like, so, so these, I mean, like, their, their high-end players are just really, really good. Mm-hmm. Right? And they have the right mix of complimentary offensive players with them. And, and it's worth noting, basically everyone we talked about there, with the possible exception of, of Reinhardt, mm-hmm. um, is more an offensive player than a defensive player. Yeah. And that leans into this team's ethos. Yeah. We talked about Tampa. There was an interesting mix where, especially Chirelli, is a clearly defensive-oriented player. Um, point, very comfortable at both ends of the rink. And then, like, that third line of, like, Belmar, Maroon, those, those are defensive players. That yeah, like, the this, the, you know, the Bolts are content to shut you down. Florida wants to blow you away. And they can do it. Um, the third line is Frank Vetrano, Anton Lundell, and Mason Marchment, old friend. This, I, isn't, this isn't always yeah. their third line, though, to be clear. Like, it, it's, it's yeah. been messing, messed around because of injuries. Like, uh, Patrick Hornfist plays a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Itu Dvotsarinen, who is like a third-slash-fourth liner. They, they have a, their depth guys are like a huge hodgepodge. Yes. And, y- you know, now disgraced coach Joel, Joel Quenville... Uh, did show a remarkable ability to get results out of different combinations of players. However, that's been continuing. They seem to find combinations that do quite well. And Lundell, I know, was someone that we wanted in his draft year, and unfortunately he didn't fall all the way to us. But he has the potential to be a really fine player. Um, Yes. But I, I think you can look at this and say, okay, they're a top six heavy offensive team. And the Leafs can aspire to match or even narrowly beat them in that regard yes but the caveat i'd have to that is like some of their depth players have frankly bonker shot results like their mm. most played depth line is lotzerina and hornquist and lomberg and they have like a 63 percent xg right and mm-hmm. they're not getting really nice zone time or, or, or like getting sheltered like crazy either um they're just like kind of beating fools and <laughs> Hornfist in particular has had, I think, a really, really good year. And he's always been a great player. He's struggled with health recently. Mm-hmm. And like, his body's breaking down. It's a really rough style. But he seems to be uh, like somewhat rejuvenated in Florida. Yeah. And, you know, just having him as an option in a depth role, a guy who is experienced, who plays a tough style, and who can go to the net front, at the risk of indulging in some intangibles, I think you're happy to have that when uh, playoff time rolls around. Um, Joe Thornton is also here. For some reason, um, he might finally get his ring. Actually, I don't know yeah. if he's doing a whole lot on the ice, but that's okay. He's forty-two. Yeah, no, I think that <laughs> the fourth line that Thornton plays on. He, I don't think Thornton's played as much recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's injury or not, or just like benched. Um, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of shuffled in and out, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like you know that that thirdish line of like. Uh, Hornfist and, and Lomberg. I, like, it's hard to... I, I feel bad at categorizing it as, like, a third or fourth line or whatever because, like, it, it's unclear what exactly their pecking order is at times. But mm-hmm. basically, like, Florida gets good results out of their depth lines. Mm-hmm. Right, that, that's, that's, like, the, the key there. And there really isn't any major drag on it, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. they, they get good results with guys like Mason Marchment playing, right? Mm-hmm. They get pretty solid results. I mean, probably, like, the biggest drag overall is, like, maybe Owen Tippett. 
Yeah, um, who, who was considered a good shooter as a prospect, so... Yes. I don't even know. Yeah, so, again, this is this is a, a good team. They do have, like, some relative defensive weaknesses compared to the other teams we're talking about here, not really compared to Toronto. Um, but they are, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the fun house, uh, or, like, a, or not a fun house mirror, a regular mirror of, of Toronto. <laughs> right. Yeah, you mentioned um, Barkov and Hornquist get sort of defensive usage. Yeah. Whereas that's a contrast with Bennett used more offensively. Yep. Um, the only thing that I noticed, and it's kind of weird for a team that we've just described as offensively very potent, is their power play is pretty ordinary. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting with the talent involved. You wonder if it's that they're stronger on the rush or, or you know, they're not as, as established when they're they're setting up or what's going on there. They should be better, I think. Yeah, you you would think so. Um, I guess the other thing I noticed, like stylistically, is they seem to be more a shoot from anywhere offense that really capitalizes on puck recoveries and scrambles in front. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone like Hornquist there, for example, really helps. But basically, a lot of their a lot of their lines feature someone who's very good and tight. Barkov has great hands and close. Um, Hornfist, I mentioned. Sam Bennett's a tough guy. He like he's he's not gonna shy away from from dirty areas of the ice. Mm-hmm. So th- that's that's worth noting. Like style, they get their results in a very different way to to the Leafs, who really do it through a ton of like movement and pa- and um, passing in the offensive zone, mm-hmm. and and relatively fewer point shots. The Panthers do, you know, have a fair bit of dependence on point shots, but then they use it, you know, as a way to get tips and backhands in front and they you know goal mouth um scrambles right and you know you can argue that that's a logical thing to do to some extent when you have Aaron Ekblad mm-hmm. um who is yeah let me double check here you know he shoots a lot on the power play possibly more than I would desire to be totally honest with you um but that said he is a very good defensive uh, offensive defenseman and so there's some logic to that even if i'm not sure it's the most maximized as we're seeing with this kind of middling power play still though if you want to point to a clear strength toronto has that florida doesn't it's right now our power play looks to be a cut above theirs so keep that in mind the defense uh their top pairing is mackenzie wegar and aaron ekblad that's a star number one pairing yes very very good better than (laughs) any pairing that Toronto could possibly put out. Yeah. Like, I take that over Riley and Brody seven days a week. So, sorry. Um, their second pairing is more questionable. It was Gustav Forsling and Radko Gudas have been, so far as I can tell, the most common one. Yes. But there's been a lot of variety. And, you know, that's, that's fine. But you look at this team and think, hey, what are they going to do at the trade deadline? There was a big flashing light saying, upgrade the second pairing. And um, Jeff Merrick said that he thinks they're a dark horse team for, for Chikrin. Yeah, which would make an upsetting amount of sense for them. Yes, um, <laughs> a, a shot-heavy defenseman, you know, they're, they're a team that's, like, well-equipped to use that, and then he can also, you know, provide a benefit to probably their second-unit power play as well. Yeah, um, it, it would be great. The difference is, you know, we've talked about them mirroring Toronto, Toronto also probably wants a second pairing defenseman if they can get them, but they want them to play the right side so that they can pair with Jake Muzzin. Florida, 
Arguably the stronger party on the second pairing is Radko Gudis, who already shoots right. So Florida can more comfortably acquire a left-shot defenseman, like Jacob Chikrin, but also there are just more lefties in the NHL, you know, left-hand shots. So they probably have more opportunities to make an upgrade here, and they're so clearly in a go-for-it year. Like, this is the best this team has been since Pavel Bure. They really ought to be going all in. And so I would be very surprised if they don't trade for somebody. Yeah, and the, the, the pairing with Gudis and Forsling has been fine, but it, it, it just stands out as... Like, you, from looking at the stats, you get the sense that that pairing is carried by the strength of the team around them, more so mm-hmm. than they are doing the heavy lifting themselves. So it just looks like the obvious place to improve. Also, you know, when come playoff time, a lot of teams tend to cut down in the direction of having a real top four defenseman and playing their third pair less. Tampa is the exception to that, as we mentioned. Um, but I think that if you're going to do that and you're Florida, you would want someone you can really rely on as a minute muncher. So There's also the possibility, like, they also just might want to get another defenseman because they can't count on Radko Gudis to, like, not brain someone in the playoffs <laughs> and get suspended. Yeah, Radko Gudis is, like, one of the top ten guys who will do something insane at some point. Um, in net, uh, the Sergei Bobrovsky contract was arguably the worst in hockey for a couple of years because he seemed to forget which way his pads went on. Now he's remembered how to be a Vesna candidate. And, I, I mean, you can always talk about goalie contracts, but right now he's probably worth the money because he's been exceptional. And very, very good goaltending is very, very valuable. Right, and um, the flip side of that is their backup goalie is Spencer Knight, mm-hmm. who is a highly touted prospect, mm-hmm. uh, who hasn't been as good this year. There was some question going into this season as to whether Knight might take the starting job from Bobrovsky. And very much the opposite has happened. Bobrovsky has claimed it with an iron grip, and Knight has done nothing to make himself seem likely to get it. So, the thing about Bobrovsky is, you know, you might want to hope that he somehow reverts to his terrible form of the last couple years, but this guy was a top, top goaltender for several years in Columbus. And so the fact that you know, he's now reverted to form is not, you know, a flash in the pan the way it would be for an unheralded goalie. Yeah, I mean, don't look now, but like after Campbell's recent downturn, Bobrovsky's numbers are better than Campbell's over the entire year. And they're similar to, to Vasilevsky's, right? It's just a, yeah. just a titch below guys like uh, Shesterkin and Anderson. Yes. In terms of um, overall kind of overall play. So, Yeah. He, he's back on the case. <laughs> uh, if we put all that together, you know, we try and look at the Panthers on the whole. I think the Leafs match up in almost a dead heat with the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, I narrowly prefer our forwards, very narrowly. But I think on defense, you can say the Panthers have a slight edge. Um, depending on what you think Jake Muzzin is going to do going forward. If Jake Muzzin is really in decline, you might even say the Panthers have a clear edge there because they have the best pairing of the two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in net, Campbell this year has generally played as well as anybody. But Bobrovsky has done this before and has now reverted to that level where he too is playing as well as anybody. Right. And 
worth noting that like on the margins, if you know a comet comes down and strikes down every starting goaltender in the NHL, um, yeah. it probably impacts the Panthers slightly less than other teams because they're they're probably happier playing Spencer Knight than we are in playing uh, Peter Mrazek, and then the Lightning are in playing um, Ryan Elliott. <laughs> yeah, so definitely not hopeless. Um, if the Leafs go in against the Panthers with this team against their team and have a home ice advantage, I might even say Leafs are narrowly favored. Uh, yeah, I think that's like a... Yeah. It's like a Leafs in seven type of prediction with the knowledge yeah. that it could go in any direction, really. Like, it, it, that's, that's a very close to a toss-up, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. The only thing I will say is... I cannot stop thinking they are going to get a second-pairing left defenseman. It's really screaming out for it, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you have exactly one weakness. You have a team that has every incentive to go for it now. You know? It adds up. So, I'll be interested to see where they're at by the trade deadline, and if the Leafs do something. Um, the Leafs might also be in a comparable position. But, this team as it stands is about even with Toronto. The team that we might end up playing when it comes to that, I don't know. So now we should uh, probably talk about Boston. Um, everyone's favorite team, the Boston Bruins. Um, in your notes, you wrote, oh, look, it's these fucking guys again. And I think that is a very accurate um, expression of how we all feel that this team is still around and still relevant. Yeah. So... Um, they're five on five fundamentals. They are 14th in goal force percentage. So just barely above average, a mm -hmm. bit above 51%. Um, but first in expected goals for percentage, 57%. And fourth in Corsi four percentage, around 55%. Uh, like Tampa, they play a very slow pace, the 28th highest XG pace in the league. So 4.5 combined um, in terms of 5v5 expected goals for rate and expected goals against rate. So like a full XG per 60 slower a pace than, than Florida, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, this is the inverse of Florida. Um, offense is league average. 13th in goals for, 10th in Corsi, 9th in XG. So above average, but not elite. And they don't have the injury excuse that Tampa has for, for similar results. And uh, defensively, they are 15th in goals against for 60, but first in Corsi against and first in expected goals against. And both of those by like a, you know, with a bullet. Mm-hmm. So, this is um, the best defensive team in the NHL. Yeah, which is annoying. Mm -hmm. I hate it. And so, in the past, uh, Katjes observed that the Bruins structure almost seemed to be like, we have our one superpower line, which will dominate lots of offense from them, great defense from them, and then we will have a bottom nine, which is content to grind you into dust. That might have changed a little bit with Taylor Hall, who adds some offensive flair. That said, they've also lost David Krejci, who was always an underrated player. But the result seems to have wound up in a similar place. They don't have as much scoring as I think they would like. And so speaking of upgrades obvious to make at the deadline, they would love a second-line center. Yep. I, I read a, a mailbag by Fluto Shinzawa, who is the Bruins writer at The Athletic, and basically every question was about how do we upgrade second-line center. They're, they currently basically play uh, Charlie Coyle there, or I'm sorry, Eric Halla. Yeah, uh, Coyle and Halla, I yeah. think, have both auditioned and not especially impressed in yeah, that role. Yeah, it, it, it's like, yeah. <laughs> the, the better one is always the one who isn't currently in that role. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, we'll look at the line combinations. This was as of when I did this, which was a couple of days ago. But their top line, 
presently is Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and Craig Smith. And actually, that might have changed recently because Marchand is now hurt. Ah, so you do have that element of it. Um, Craig Smith sounds so much like an understudy in that role. It's like, <laughs> even just by his extremely common name. But I think when push comes to shove, I'd be surprised if we don't see Marshan Bergeron and Pasternak together again. At least, you know, when you have this in your pocket, you're going to play it when the time comes. You know, you just, they're too good, too well-established, too perfect to fit. I'm fucking tired of this. And that's a reality that anyone facing the Bruins has to face up to. They still struggle with offensive depth, and that's why Pasternak was playing on the second line. Yes. Um, sorry, I should just make a quick correction. Yeah. Um, Marshawn has, has returned, so the injury was like not incredibly long-lived. Of course it was. So the result is that you have this, this team where there are like pretty clearly four good offensive players in this forward group. I mean, Craig Smith is not bad, mm-hmm. but there, it's, it's four and then a huge step down which is something Lee fans can be well familiar with, except they're, the Bruins are used to playing three of those guys together and only one of the four typically plays center. So there's, as we've mentioned, a real hall, hole next to Taylor Hall. So Taylor Hall, Eric Halla, and David Pasternak were the second line at this point. And then the third line is Jake DeBrusque, who wants to be traded, Charlie Coyle, and Nick Foligno. Um... Uh, that third line especially is in PDO hell. Some of it is definitely bad luck or bad goaltending. Some of it might be a little bit earned because I don't think that line can expect to outshoot. Um, it's expected by any means. Uh, DeBrusque used to be a decent finisher, but Nick Foligno, as you pointed out, is kind of washed at this point, at least on the offensive end. Yeah, he can still have some defensive utility, but like... It feels like Felino sometimes is being relied on to do too much offensively here. Like I know they've tried him a little bit on on the second line as well. And it's like that he's just not cut out for that now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I I, I can sort of see them wanting to stick with Pasternak on the right wing of the hall line because it at least spreads out their dangerous shooters more. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, this team is. And from the stats, it's the same Bruins team as before in the sense of they are very good at controlling play. They do not let you get good shots in tight. They do not let you win board battles easily. They do not let you enter the zone with impunity. Um, and they've been let down by, the, by two things. One, they have four good shooters. and Everyone else is like not great at it. And they have gotten trashed to your goaltending. Mm-hmm. And so, that's, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, those are the fundamental issues with this team. And like, to me, what it boils down to is, can Tuka Rask fix the goaltending? Yes. We're, uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but that's going to overhang this whole thing, so it's probably worth mentioning now. Their goaltending hasn't been good enough. They signed Linus Ulmark as the putative Tuka Rask replacement, and he hasn't been good enough for their standards. So now Tuka Rask is sort of... Uh, it's been like a long, slow dance of him sort of drifting into the organization, and now he's finally signed, and so they've got him. Uh, they demoted Jeremy Swayman, who was the youngster on the edge of the the goalie carousel, and now he's been bumped down to the third. Um, Rask is 34. He's been an exceptional goalie for much of his career. If he re- returns to form or something like it, and I wouldn't rule it out necessarily, then this team gets very, very scary again. Um, they're still going to be frustrating. Like, if you look at that forward group, as the Leafs, 
you're thinking, okay, we have to survive against the the Bergeron and Marchand pairing one way or another. All the more so if they have Pasternak. And then we should be hoping to put up margins somewhere against that middle six. Mm -hmm. You know, Taylor Hall, you always have to be aware of. Pasternak, same thing if he's there. But they can be beaten. It's just they're going to make your life miserable. And they're probably not going to get beaten by a lot. You're not going to... You're not going to put up, like, huge, huge, huge differentials against that group because they're so good defensively. Yeah, it's it's the classic Boston thing where their top line puts up insane margins on almost everybody. The rest of the group is very hard to put up margins against. That nets out to, they win, a lot of the time, if they don't get submarine by goaltending. And, you know, this is another thing, by the way, they still have a good power play. Mm-hmm. Um, again, look at the names. It's not a huge surprise. Um, but that's another weapon that they have in their arsenal that maybe Florida doesn't have as much. Um, by name recognition, the defense is Charlie McAvoy and friends. However, a lot of them are good to very good by XG. And given that this is the best defensive team in the NHL, presumably some of the defensemen have something to do with it. Um... Pairing, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is good. Just, like, genuinely good. Yeah, and so McAvoy and Grizzlick play a ton of time with the Bergeron line and have insane results in mm-hmm. those minutes. Um, they're less oppressive away from them, as you might expect. But Boston is going to play them together, so <laughs> there's only so much consolation to be had. Um, and then Brandon Carlo is sort of the foundation of a very strong defensive pairing. He is fucking enormous. Um Again, not a ton of offense from the defense except from McAvoy, but he's ex- extremely good at it. And again, this is going to be a miserable team to play against, even putting aside the history that Toronto has against Boston. Um, I don't think it would be a particularly fun series to watch, even, uh, unless you like seeing the Leafs get dunked on. No. <laughs> um, whereas Leafs Florida would at least be fun, probably. Yeah, and... Leafs Lightning would, I think, be more interesting in the sense of, um, I guess it'd be a, it'd be a cool test for the Leafs in, in that sense. Um, Tampa, mm-hmm. I could see them. I, Tampa's a team. Maybe this is a weird way of view. They're a team with like a bit of hubris. I can see them being like, you know what? Let's get into a tracking with these fuckers and see, and then we'll show them what's what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's gotta be weird psychologically being the Tampa Bay Lightning. There is that old saying. I think it was Phil Jackson who said the hardest thing is to win it the second time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't him. But uh, they've won it the second time. And now it's just you have to still conjure up that drive, um, that willingness to play disciplined. And it's to Tampa's credit mm-hmm. that they've been such a solid team top to bottom. But, you know, you never know. But yeah, I'm like, trying to find hope against Tampa here. Well, I, at least it's, yeah. it's, it's more interesting. I, I, it, it's comparing yourself to the gold standard, right? Facing yeah. Boston, we've, we've done this a million times before, and we know what they're about, and it's just kind of annoying to deal with, frankly, because they're going to play in a way that is, yeah, very, very frustrating to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the way they should play, and they're not going to get suckered into um, a speed game. They're going to really try and impose this kind of low-event style, mm-hmm. which the Leafs, it's not really to the Leafs' liking, Um because the Leafs really want to overwhelm you with quantity and quality of, of, of chances. And the byproduct of that is, you know, transitions the other way and then hopefully hitting you on, on the break back. And like, it's, 
it's an entirely different style of game that the Leafs are just not as well suited for. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and this is despite the fact we've talked that the Leafs are no longer this like super fast transition team, but they are still a team that, that likes creating lots of shots and lots of chances themselves. And the Bruins, like it's, it's again a very strength versus strength matchup. Mm -hmm. Right? The, the Leafs offense among the best in the league versus the Bruins defense, which is probably the best in the league. Right. So you would... I mean, I don't think Toronto loves this matchup. Sty like, stylistically, I think that this is unpleasant for them. Um, you, you know, maybe if Toronto manages to impose their game a little bit, it also forces the Bruins to play in, in a way that's not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And if you get a lead against Boston, yeah, that is encouraging because they have to lean very hard on their four offensive players, basically, to try and come back. So... I don't think by any means this is a doomed matchup. I just don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Like I, the Leafs I, I, have as good a chance as, as Boston does at least. Oh, yeah. I, th I think yeah. the Leafs are, are it's the least our favorites. Like, goaltending is part of the game. Yeah. yeah. Boston's not had good goaltending, and it's unclear whether a geriatric Tuka Rask is going to fix that. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so, yeah, like, it's, it's absolutely worth, like, it's absolutely like a, a, a series that the Leafs can win. Right, and should probably be favored to win, actually. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not going to be pleasant in a variety of ways. No, and I'm sure in the back of every fan's head is going to be, here we go again, if things start to get ugly against Boston. I don't even think it's reading too much in to say, maybe that'll happen a bit to the players, too. Like, there is a psychological block around the Boston Bruins, probably, at some point. Um, not saying it's insurmountable, not saying the Leafs can't overcome it. And if the goaltending falls out behind Boston, then suddenly this series could kind of end fast. But it's going to... I think the more likely outcome is it's a hard-fought grinding series if it comes to that. Um, yeah, so we've surveyed. I think we kind of came around to the conclusion that we'd probably rather play Florida, even though they're intimidating. Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a heart attack series. I don't think yeah. really any leads are safe in that series. Both teams can really pour it on offensively yeah it's uh it could be a wild one whereas you know i guess we could just say in passing if the leafs bottom out they conceivably you know they might still play the top seed in the atlantic but they might wind up against um the top team in the metro which looks like carolina right yeah uh although they don't have an iron grip on it by any means um the seating in the metro is very tight right now like, Carolina is the best team in the tops on points percentage, but in just raw points, all four teams are within three of each other. Right. And then Columbus is, like, 18 back. So they're The Eastern done. Conference player, uh, playoff picture is set. We know the eight teams. It's just yeah. matchups at this point. Yeah, like, the, the next team after is Detroit, who are uh, 500 in the NHL sense, but who have lost six more games than they've won. And then you have eight teams that are all at least good in record and mostly very good. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just mean that to say there's not a whole lot of consolation if you cross over and have to play the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. Who, you know, we just, we don't think that that's going to happen. Maybe you feel better if you run against the Rangers or I'm still not sure how seriously I actually take this stage of the Washington Capitals, notwithstanding Ovechkin standing on his head. But anyway, it'll probably be an Atlantic team. And this is kind of what we're looking at. So Right. And again, it's worth noting that 
Atlantic teams are probably looking at the Leafs and being like, ah, that's not a fun matchup either. Yeah. Right, like it's... The Leafs are not doomed in any of these, but the reality is they're going to face a really good team in round one. And Mm -hmm. that, because of the divisional playoff structure right now, very good teams in the Atlantic are going to go home in the first and second round. Yep. And, and, you know, it's, it can feel unfair to the Leafs in in the sense of you have a a tough first round draw. No one's going to feel pity for you. And because they might play very, very well against one of the best three teams in the NHL and lose a hard fought series. And it might have consequences for the franchise as if that's a grave failure, you know, just because they've run out their string at this point, but you know, that's what we're staring at. So let's hope they can overcome it. Yep. Pretty much. Um, so I think that'll just about wrap it up for us. Um, thank you guys for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at petchapanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.